Is Matthew 22, verses 15 to 22, just about money and taxes? Or is there something more than meets the eye? Trust Jesus to turn a malicious trap into another teaching moment. It is an object lesson about ownership from the image and inscription on a Roman coin. It is a lesson for now and also what is to come at the end of the age. Stay with me. Hi, this is Hansen from Archippus Awakening, a ministry dedicated to the awakening of the saints to know and fulfill our God-given kingdom assignments. And this is what Kingdom 101 is all about. We revisit kingdom fundamentals to know Jesus our King, to embrace His kingdom that we may receive and move on kingdom assignments according to His kingdom ways. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, once more, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Holy Spirit, will you come upon it, Lord? Bring it alive so that we can know Jesus more and more. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The K-drama, kingdom drama, continues. From the moment Jesus enters Jerusalem in Matthew 21, everything is turned upside down, literally. Cleansing the temple, Jesus overturns the tables. Cursing the fig tree, he sends a very strong signal that fruitlessness will be judged. Offended and threatened, the religious leaders confront Jesus by questioning and challenging his authority. Jesus stumps his opponents with a question of his own, followed by three parables that warn about the rejection of instruction, inspection, and invitation. Clearly, a main frontal attack is not getting anywhere. So, round two, we will outflank Jesus. In this next section, three smaller units, the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the Sadducees, will launch their own separate attacks against Jesus. They will take turns to test Jesus with tough and tricky questions in hope of tripping and trapping him. Question number one is found in our text, Matthew 22, 15-22. The Pharisees, together with the Herodians, ask a question about taxes. Question number two, in Matthew 22, 23-33, the Sadducees pose a question about the resurrection. Question number three, Matthew 22, 34-40, the Pharisees again pose a question about the law. And finally, question four, in Matthew 22, verses 41-46, by Jesus. Jesus asks them a question of his own, shutting them up, because no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. And so ending this second round of attacks, Jesus too, religious leaders zero. Now that we have the big picture, let's back up and consider the first question found in Matthew 22, 15-22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent to him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. 
So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Let's consider the unlikely alliance of the Pharisees and the Herodians. The Pharisees we are more familiar with. They are members of a Jewish party known for their tradition of strict piety and interpretation of the Mosaic law. In addition, they developed an extensive set of oral extensions of the law designed to maintain religious identity and purity. The Pharisees were a religious group. Although they disapproved of Gentile rule over God's people, they were not known for their political activity. But who are the Herodians? As the name suggests, they are a group of Jews loyal to Herod's family who aligned with Rome. The Herodians' political allegiance was indirectly, therefore, to Rome. They considered paying taxes as merely fulfilling their responsibilities as good subjects of Rome. It was, therefore, an unlikely alliance of the religious and the political. Jesus was that big a threat to them, that they were willing to put aside their differences to work together to remove Jesus. Now, we know how dangerous it can be when both the religious and the political elements come together. But hold that thought for a moment. The main objective of this Pharisee and Herodian alliance, well, it was a plot to trap, to entangle Jesus, to catch Jesus in his words, to seize on his words. But first, they needed to soften the target through flattery. And so they come to Jesus with a sort of complimentary words with which a speaker might seek an audience's favour, but for the purpose of lowering his guard. In fact, ancient moralists frequently condemned the danger of trusting or offering such flattery. In Proverbs chapter 29, verse 5, it gives the same warning. A man who flatters his neighbour spreads a net for his feet. And the word flatter carries the meaning of to divide, to plunder, to be smooth, to be slippery. So they say, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth. Nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of man. Although this was totally true, they didn't mean it at all. It was just a lead-up to their tough trick question in the next verse. So tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? For starters, let's be clear that this is not the temple tax mentioned in Matthew chapter 17, 24 to 27. This is the poll tax that went to support foreign pagan oppressors. Let's unpack this to understand the significance of this question. Firstly, it's a legal question. If you want to paraphrase it, according to the law of Moses, is it right to pay taxes to foreign powers? What do you think, O great teacher and rabbi Jesus? It was also a political question. 
This tax was a form of tribute to Rome. To pay the tax means to acknowledge and accept Rome's authority and control over the Jews, and to admit their own subject status to Rome, which many of the Jews were not willing to do. In John chapter 8, 33, they answered Jesus, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. When the nations would rebel against their captors, they would then cease to pay tribute. And so, as such, to not pay the tax would signal rebellion or revolution. So first, a legal question, but also a political one. And now it's a restrictive question, because it only allowed two possible answers, yes or no. And both of these answers would be just as incriminating. For example, if you ask, have you stopped abusing your children? Either answer yes or no condemns you as a child abuser. And so it is also now a dangerous question if Jesus answered yes, For openly supporting Rome, he may lose his messianic support and following. The Pharisees could then accuse Jesus of not keeping the law for not being righteous, thereby discrediting him. If Jesus answered no, for challenging these taxes, and that means challenging Rome, he would then be seen as aligning with the views of the zealots that sparked a revolt in AD 6, led by this guy called Judas of Galilee. He was mentioned by Gamaliel in Acts chapter 5, verse 37, that Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census by Quirinius in AD 6 and drew away many people after him. But he also perished, and all who obeyed him were dispersed. The Herodians then could charge him as a revolutionary like this Judas of Galilee and have him promptly arrested and quickly executed. This question was deliberately crafted to trap Jesus. They were trying to catch Jesus in his own game. Because earlier, when the leaders questioned his authority, Jesus also provided only two options when he asked the leaders about John the Baptist's authority. Was it from heaven or was it from men? But the big difference is that one of these answers is right. However, the leaders refused to give the right answer because they didn't believe it at all. And since they were unwilling to say the wrong answer for fear of the people, they then opted to act blur, saying, we don't know. Well, in this case, Jesus could have also refused to engage, to sidestep this trick question. But to do that would bring his authority into question again, which was their main objective. So a non-answer was only slightly better than any of these options, whether yes or no. This question was a setup by the Pharisees and the Herodians. We've got him now. Or so they thought. What a setter! But watch how Jesus upsets his upper setters. But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? They said to him, 
Caesar's. Why do you test me? Jesus asked them. This word test is from the Greek pirazo, and when it's used with a bad intent, it is to test with the objective of finding fault, to discredit, to disqualify, to tempt with the hope of the person biting on the bait and failing. So why do you test me, you hypocrites? Interesting. Why was it not you evil, wicked, sneaky people? Since Jesus perceived their wickedness, but instead he said, you hypocrites. We will get to that in a while. But for now, let's look at Exhibit A, the tax money. Show me the money, the tax money, as it were. The poll tax was probably one denarius for each person, and that's equivalent to a day's wage. If you look at what's happening now in Singapore, counting our median monthly salary, it would work out to be about just about $154 a day. And this is for the entire year, the poll tax. This tax money would be the silver denarius of the Emperor Tiberius. Minted in Lyon, it was in circulation during that period. And only this imperial mint could legally produce silver and gold coins. Now, the locally minted copper coins omitted the emperor's image due to Jerusalem's sensitivities. So if you look at this denarius minted in the imperial mint, one side would bear Caesar's image and would carry an inscription saying, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. Simply it was saying, Caesar is divine. He is God. Now, the other side bore an image of the goddess Roma with the inscription Pontiff Maxim, which means high priest. Wow, God and high priest. This coin related directly to pagan Roman religion and to the imperial cult in the East. This provides a better understanding as to why the Jews were so against this coin and hence the tax. Jews would have considered both the name and the picture blasphemous. The image violated the second commandment against idolatry, since the inscription shows that the emperor considered himself divine as God. These coins openly promoted the worship of Caesar. While Jews were allowed to honour emperors, they were expected to avoid the images as well as worship, because only God is to be worshipped, not Caesar. But religion and worship aside, the coins were the property of Caesar. Since the emperor controlled the production of the coins, they were officially his property. His own image denoted imperial ownership. Caesar was the rightful owner of these coins. Yet, like it or not, the Jews had to use this coin. It was the only one required for the poll tax in all the provinces. And that was what provoked Judas the Galilean's famous revolt of AD 6. So now it's payback time to return to the rightful owner. With their reply about Caesar's image and inscription, Jesus then said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. 
trying to catch me in my answer? Well, it's payback time. In trying to trap Jesus, they fell for Jesus' own trap for them. Return to the rightful owner. See, when Jesus asked for a coin, they were able to provide one on demand. And since they were using Caesar's money, they were therefore also subject to his policies and taxes. They asked, is it lawful to give or to pay taxes? That word used simply means pay or to give. But Jesus cleverly answered and used the word, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Now that word used is to pay back, not just pay, but pay back or give back. The Jews were not giving to Caesar. They were giving back or paying back what rightly belongs to Caesar. They were settling a debt owed to Caesar. They were simply returning the coins to the rightful owner. For the Jews, it was this issue of loyalty to God that caused them to object to Roman taxation. But Jesus, through this one statement, shows that one can still honour the authorities and the government without compromising the worship of God and loyalty to God. Now, what belongs to Caesar, pay back, give back to Caesar. Similarly, what belongs to God, give back to God. Now, does this promote a sacred versus secular dichotomy and mentality? Not at all. In the commentary, R.T. Francis puts it this way, This is not a rigid division of life into the sacred and the secular, but rather a recognition that the secular finds its proper place within the overriding claim of the sacred. See, it is not Caesar and God, but Caesar under God. After all, all authority has been appointed by God and belongs to God. Caesar only has power when God allows him to have that power. And whichever empire or ruler, everything else, when all things end, still belongs to God. And so we are called to recognize and honor the authorities set in place by God. Later on, the New Testament writers would affirm this position through many verses like Romans 13 verse 1, 1 Peter chapter 2, 13 to 17, 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 and 2, or Titus chapter 3, verse 1 to 2. Now, should there be a conflict, which is not the issue in this case, then we clearly ought to obey God rather than men, as recorded in Acts chapter 5, verse 29. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. We must be careful that we don't appear and sound so spiritual that we consider everything as so evil that we cannot touch it. If that's the case, then don't use anything that's in the world's system at all, which is impossible. The key is to know how to discern what it means to be in the world and not of the world. We are to worship God fully without compromise as we function in this life, yet remain holy and set apart from the systems of this world. Biblical examples in the Old Testament would obviously be Joseph in Egypt and Daniel in Babylon. So in one concise and profound statement, 
Jesus avoids the trap by affirming both what the Pharisees and what the Herodians hold dear. God's sovereignty must be acknowledged, but human governments also have a legitimate authority. Neither the image nor the inscription on coins could prevent the Jews' devotion to God, nor should the coin have any such effect. Or did it? Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Jesus' opponents appeared to be religious, spiritual, and pious in the name of loyalty to God and not wanting to compromise their worship of God. However, they were using the very same coin they objected to, thereby revealing their hypocrisy in the matter. More than just justify the legitimacy of paying tax, Jesus challenged his opponents if they even needed to hold on to the coins at all. Why not return them all to Caesar, the rightful owner? And here's an interesting point to note. The Jews in Jerusalem preferred death than allow Caesar's image to enter their city on banners. Yet they were very willing to carry his image on coins. Hypocrites. Why? Because it is money, and I suppose money is important. So I suppose an exception can be made. After all, God understands, right? So for the sake of being practical, they were willing to compromise. But when it comes to paying taxes, they took issue with it. Double standards, no? Hypocrites. Oh, but were they not lovers of God? Well, not exactly, because Luke chapter 16, verse 14 tells us that the Pharisees were lovers of money. Hypocrites. Furthermore, since everything belongs to God, they should also be ready and willing to surrender all they had, including money to God. After all, those who worship and trust God should have no attraction or attachment to money. And Jesus had already thought about this and many times, because no one can serve two masters. It's either God or mammon. Ouch! No wonder Jesus called them hypocrites. They tried to trap Jesus with religious talk, but ended up being exposed for their own hypocrisy. They appeared spiritual and faithful, but were in fact not obedient and definitely not faithful to God. Were they against Roman rule? Well, later at Jesus' trial, they readily declared that we have no king but Caesar. John chapter 19, verses 14 and 15. Now, we must remember the context of this passage and these chapters. It's all about outward appearances, disobedience, and fruitlessness in this section. Hypocrites. Now, lest we be too quick to just label them as hypocrites, we too must be careful. We readily acknowledge the dangers of the love of money and warn against worshipping mammon. Yet we have no problem accumulating and holding on to riches and wealth, conveniently considering it as God's blessings and favour. We can just as quickly align with the religious and the political for the sake of the financial. If we're not careful, we too can be hypocrites. 
Having addressed what belongs to Caesar, we must not miss addressing what belongs to God. Looking at each of our hearts, we have to answer the same question that Jesus asked. Whose image and inscription is this? Caesar's image was on the coin. God's image is on men. Because we've all been created in his image according to his likeness. Every man and woman belong to God. God is the rightful owner. However, sin has marred God's image in men. We owe God a debt, one that we cannot pay back, give back, or to render to God what is rightly His. For this reason, God sent His Son, Jesus, to die on behalf of our sins, to pay the price of the penalty with His life, with His blood, to cleanse, to redeem, and to buy back what was originally His. As believers of Jesus Christ, we are paid for by His blood. We are no longer our own. We belong to God again. Listen to the words in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 23, You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of men. Friends, we carry the image of God. And we also have His inscription upon us. For all of us who believe in Jesus Christ, we bear the name of Jesus Christ. We also have His laws written upon our minds and our hearts. The Apostle Paul writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. See, not just the image of God, but also the inscription, what has been written upon our minds as well as our hearts. As such, we must render to God what is His, to return to God what is rightly His, for He is the rightful owner. This is not the time to live compromised lives. Don't pretend to be religious and spiritual, but not faithful and obedient. Don't live double lives. Don't be hypocrites. We belong to Jesus. Turn and return and live our lives fully devoted to Him and His kingdom. Because the time is coming where the religious, the political, and the financial will align a one-world religion, a one-world government, and a one-world economy. There will be another image, and this image is of the beast that will seek all to worship it. There will also be an inscription, a mark of sorts, a mark of the beast that is forced on people to be taken. Without this image and the mark, no one can buy or sell. 
It is an antichrist alliance that will come against the Christ and his people. Come that time, either you will belong to Jesus or you will belong to Satan. Your political alignment, your church membership, and your bank account will not save you. Only faith in Jesus Christ, uncompromising worship of Jesus Christ, and faithful obedience to Jesus Christ will matter. This is the time to turn and to return and to live our lives fully devoted to Jesus and His kingdom. Let's close with the last verse of our text. Matthew chapter 22, verse 22. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Was it just a clever answer to escape a trap? More than that, Jesus displayed and demonstrated his authority again. Jesus could have used scripture to support his answer, and there would have been plenty, yet he didn't, at least not in this case. This is because as Jesus was the one who gave scripture, he is also the authority above all scripture. He is the only one who could interpret and present it rightly. Wow! No wonder his opponents marveled. However, they left him and went their way. So don't just be wowed by good teaching or wise answers. Aha moments are nice. But don't just be impressed by Jesus only to leave him and go your way. We who declare that we are believers of Jesus Christ, we belong to God, to Jesus. Again, the time is now to turn and to return to the rightful owner, to the one who paid that price that secured salvation and freedom for us. For now, it is right to honour and obey the authorities that God has set over us. Yet, more than just the paying of taxes, it is the wholehearted worship of Jesus that matters. The day will come when we are expected to take a stand for Jesus against the religious, political, and financial power. May it be clearly seen that we who bear the image of God and of Christ will live guided by what has been inscribed upon the tablets of our hearts by the Holy Spirit to be obedient even to death marked and sealed by the Lord, for the Lord knows those who are His. And the time to start is now. Return to the rightful owner. Let's pray. Lord, thank you again for your word. Thank you for Holy Spirit that quickens and brings awakening. But Lord, let us not just be impressed with a great answer. As we have been awakened and stirred, May we align by returning to you, our rightful owner, that we will live for you, Lord. Help us all, Lord. Enable us. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining me for another Kingdom 101 teaching. For past teachings, visit our website, kingdom101.archipusawakening.org. Until the next time, this is Hanson signing off. Stay awakened, aligned, and assigned. God bless you.